In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the album Lonerism by Tame Impala. Tame Impala is the musical mouthpiece of Australian multi-instrumentalist and experimental virtuoso Kevin Parker. After the success of his first album, Inner Speaker, Parker immediately began writing and recording Lonerism, a 12-track psychedelic journey into his introverted mind where you get to see the world through his eyes and from his perspective. Arguably a favorite among his ever-growing fan base, Lonerism was released in 2012 to global acclaim and still stands up as one of the best albums of the decade. I have a lot of love for this album and I'm looking forward to breaking it down with the guys. This is Lonerism by Tame Impala. You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show. Show, 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 show. For show, for show. Hello, good day, and welcome to episode seven of Between the Tracks. <laughs> As you heard at the top, we're going to be looking at Lonerism by Tame Impala. That's my choice for this week. Really looking forward to getting into it. Introductions wise, my name is Carl Lewis. With me is Charlie Fowler. Hello, Carl. And Chris Blunt. All right, mate. I've got to get some more middle names for I f- you. I feel like you've um, you've just gone for that one for the last few weeks. I've exhausted you that one, haven't I? It. How you doing, fellas? You right? I'm coffeeed off my tits. Yeah, we're doing a morning show today. We normally record a bit later in the day, but today is bright and early, so we've all had a couple of coffees and are feeling a bit... And some pastel de nata. Pastel de nata. I feel like I always talk fast on this, and now I feel like this one is going to be madness. Yeah. Take a step back, a deep breath, nice and slow. How did you find the album, boys? How did you get on with your research? Got on all right, I'd say, with the research. I will say, though... It's been the hardest one for me. To really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Sorry, because I know that you adore this. That's fine, man. That's what this is about. Learn a lot, but I need a break from it now. Okay. I've, I've listened to it a lot. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. You, when you listen to an album 15 times in a row, it's, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's one of them. Ah. Mm. So, uh, I said, so Chris Haytick, Charlie, yeah. what do you think? Not at all. I didn't, <laughs> didn't say that. Tears and gown. I said to you both this morning and yesterday, I think as well, that I just hit this one running. Literally sat down in the perfect headspace and just got into it. Blasted through it, nice. You were like an impala running through the Some might the say brush. a wild impala. Wild impala. You know, I just did some um, cowboy research there, right? And they can jump 10 meters. No, they can't. Not they 10 can. meters. What, uh, vertical? No, no, no. Distance and three meters high. I mean, 10 meters high. Yeah, that's what that's I think you meant. Oh, okay, they can jump at a distance of 10 Shit. meters. Is that it, not that impressive? It's yeah. insane. If you think of doors too, right? That's yeah, such a weird way. thing to say. Yeah, well, it's like everyone knows what everyone knows what a door looks like. I can know Jim Morrison over here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. Thanks. It's seventeen iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when people use hands to measure horses, that always fucks me up. Yeah, that's weird. No? Now, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to some of the new Patreonies this week. People who've joined in the Patreon, we've got Adam Shivers. Erin Lloyd and Cody Gobert. So thank you very much for signing up and supporting the show. We really appreciate that. Thank you. As we mentioned in the last episode, episode 10 of each season will be a listener's choice. So when you become a member of the Patreon from the middle tier and upwards, you get sent a form which lets you submit your favorite album to the show for us to go away and pick apart and make it the focus of one of our episodes. So if you want to do that, go to our website at betweenthetrackspodcast.com or go to our Patreon website, which is patreon.com forward slash between the tracks, and you can get all of that done in there. You're just going to do that in one? All in one. Wow. Out like that. Uh, Just uh, because I know everyone's riveted, 
just I try to ca- do some cowboy research myself on uh, iPhones and the two meter kind of thing. Yeah, couldn't find that, but I could find. <laughs> but you found loads about John Wayne. No, I could find that you can get roughly six hundred thousand iPhones in a seven four seven. Okay, is that like to completely fill it, or is that across the length? Well, I don't know that. I'm giving you some cold hard facts. Mm, yeah, you haven't really thought about this enough. You really thought that through, have you? Can't be above it. Can't be. Above it. <laughs> Go on then, Carl. Uh, why did you pick this one? Because I know this is a big one for you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love this album because it reminds me of some really good times. It reminds me of past relationships, past feelings, feelings of being quite lonely at times, feelings of being overwhelmed with social situations sometimes. Yeah, it just really clicked with me, this one. I think the first time I ever heard anything by the band was live. A friend of mine wanted to go see them at a festival that might have been Glastonbury. And I had no idea who they were. They were so mysterious because on the screens, the side of the stage where you would normally have like the camera feed of the artist so that if you stood at the back, you can see them. Instead of that, they would just have visuals up. So it was just like Windows media player visualizers blasted out on those screens, a massive screen behind the band and then just silhouettes with people on stage. So Kevin Parker was always quite enigmatic to me. Mm -hmm. That seems to have changed more recently. He seems to have definitely adopted the role of frontman superstar. But Back then, it was this whole mystery to me and the psychedelic element of the music, and it just really, really um, resonated with me. So I got on board and kind of have followed the story since then. Well, that's a fair summary. Of, that's a very fair summary. Of how you feel about it. Yeah, I reckon we jump straight in with track one and pick up this conversation from the top. So this is Between the Tracks, episode seven, and we're looking at Tame Impala's second album, Lonerism. was track one be above it throwing it all in there in track one yeah right throwing in the baby and the bathwater there so in terms of an overall theme of this album i had not necessarily a theory but there's a couple of themes that i think recur throughout you got the album title itself called lonerism it definitely feels like his way of expressing his feelings of isolation misunderstood in the world that he lives in and he references sleep a lot mm-hmm. as almost like his way of escaping that feeling, which I can definitely relate to sometimes when you feel in a certain way, if you're quite overwhelmed by a situation or just overwhelmed in general, one of the very few places you can escape to during that is sleep. Man, I do that all the time. Yeah. But the more I get, the more likely I am to go, you know, what? I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> just going to nap this out. Yeah. yeah. It's a way of like, cause it's so exhausting to be feeling anxious or to be feeling overwhelmed. It's so exhausting. And when you sleep, it is a nice escape from that. It's funny that, isn't it? Because this album in particular, he does talk about the fact that he did a lot of the writing at night with his subconscious, tired, probably mm-hmm. a bit drunk, maybe yeah. a bit high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, even plays into that in the recording process. And like the locations in which he records is always like, he just locks himself away with it. Obviously this was done a little bit on the move, like he did half of it in Perth and then half of it in Paris and a lot of takes on airplanes and hotel rooms and in the back of vans. But he's generally by nature, quite an isolated person. He'll put himself in those situations. That's what surprised me most about all of this research is that I didn't assume he would be like that at all. Yeah. And I think what you said up top there about him becoming this more of a star front man, I had a different opinion of who I thought Kevin Parker mm-hmm. is. Uh, and maybe he's not that person anymore, this really timid, quite shy. Some people say that they're introverted and stuff. He does generally seem like he is 
a relative introvert. Yeah. Really. There's so many moments through this that you can feel the uncomfortable mm. or the uncomfortability of situations he's yeah. in. Yeah. Well, even like the start of this song, a lot of this song is so colourful and image-led. That's why even when we were just sat watching this whole album on a live run-through, with the imagery, I think it enhances the entire album anyway. Definitely, yeah. Being in the room as well, I'm sure. Not that I've seen them live. I know you both have. You have as well, Charlie, right? I have indeed. Yeah. Probably going to also substitute them and him quite a lot over the course of this podcast right because of course yeah yeah them as a band as a live band is different to kevin parker the artist who's tame impala but exactly yeah so tame impala is by and large a solo project it's kevin parker who writes performs records and produces the whole thing yeah the, this album and the first album was mixed by a guy called Dave Fridman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big psychedelia guy. Flame, yeah. Flaming Lips, MGMT, um, that, sort of, that sort of arc, isn't it? He's a master of it. And there's a lot of interviews with Kevin where because he is such a perfectionist through self-doubt mostly. And so he will record everything, get it all together, and then spend months doing rough mixes mm-hmm. to give to Dave Fridman for him to listen to, to then just start again. But he does these like really overcomplicated mixes to try and get his ideas over to Dave Fridman, yeah. who then just tears them apart and does yeah. it right. There's a similar theme running through all those interviews as well, because he goes, and a lot of those, he's like, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I spent so long doing that. Oh, yeah. why I put so much time into it when I knew it was going to be ripped apart. And you're like, hmm. He's, he's a perfectionist. And I think he just has to have things compartmentalized in his mind. So at least if he sends it in in a shape that he's happy with, I think he can then relax in that. It can only get better from yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but in this song, I was talking about the imagery of it and immediately the gotta be above it, the whispered, like gotta be above it. That, mm-hmm. that thing there is someone in my head talking to themselves in their head. And it's like they're running away from something that is so loud and all encompassing that they are just trying to escape. And that, I think that's a really good precursor to the entire album uh, as an idea. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Like to me, that means like the, the repetitive, cause it's a loop, isn't it? And it's there for, mm-hmm. throughout the whole song, although it gets masked by music at some points. And it's almost like a mantra, like an affirmation. Yeah. Where he's like trying to talk himself down from like a panic attack or something. And with the drum beat being a loop, which is really like kind of intense, it is quite a overwhelming song. It's really repetitive, really close to your ears, really claustrophobic. But then you have this really spacey vocal over the top of it. And to me, the way I imagine it is him lying in bed almost inside his own head, just being like, you've got to get over this. You've got to be above it. You've got to try and detach yourself from this. And the voice, like dreamy voice over the top of it is the voice of clarity throughout all of them. And you have like the lyric, I'll just close my eyes and make it so that all those little things don't affect me now. It's referencing his way to escape through sleep. So yeah, I think the image it paints is quite powerful that he's he's struggling with something and trying to talk himself down from a bad place. Did you boys read into that? Did you, uh, obviously you read into it, but did you find any direct quotes about the song meaning? This one in particular? Yeah, because I actually have got one. Oh, okay. And it's, uncanny how similar it is to what you guys are describing okay so kevin actually says this is a self mantra of someone who's just experienced something that has really shaken them and is trying to block out the idea that they're worthless and terrible ah okay that's fairly so um on the nose i think we've got on the nose i think um i think that's a pretty damn good point there lads so we'll just wrap up this episode then yeah episode 007 ladies and gentlemen this has been episode 007 And just to wrap up the point on him being a solo artist and it being a one-person thing, there was a good quote from Kevin, how he describes that. He says, I wanted people to know it was more of a solo recording project because I realized solo artists get away with completely changing their sound a lot more than bands do. And in that interview, he cites Beck as an example. So initially, he signed his record deal as a band and just was trying to trick them into thinking that he was bigger and more than he was. 
and then eventually realized that if he owns the fact that he's a solo artist, he'll have a lot more leeway and just changing his direction. And that's happened a lot, you know, from Inner Speaker to this, it was a big change in terms of bringing in synths. Then from um, Lonerism into Currents was an even bigger change, bringing in the pop side of things. And then into Slow Rush, the more recent album, which is more, again, just changing. So he's, he's definitely an ever-evolving artist, and, and with that comes vast growth by the looks of it. There's a really interesting podcast with him and Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I listened to that one. Did you listen to it? It's yeah. great. He's almost fanboying Rick anyway, yeah, yeah. a little bit. He says that about the album. He said, So much of my music has been layered psych rock symphonies. Lonerism was the pinnacle of that because it was so indulgent. It was like, oh, I'm going to do this synth melody. I'm going to do this guitar line. Oh, this bass line's got to come in here. It was packed in. So sonically, it's a really interesting album to listen to because nothing really jumps at you except for these other bits. It's simultaneously what's wrong with it, but also what's charming and beautiful about it. Yeah. And I actually took a lot of comfort in that statement because I found this process of listening to this album really quite overwhelming sonically and stuff like that. So actually, thanks for that, (laughs) Kevin Parker, because I needed to be able to say, do you know what? This is quite a lot. Listening to it over and over, I find... Uh, Even after um, James Blake? Yeah, big big time. Mm. But yeah, it was really helpful for me to hear him say that and address the fact that he's literally throwing all of this shit at it, basically. I mean, it's fair to call it a psych rock symphony or a magnum opus or however you want to phrase yeah, yeah. it. He, he discovered synths and used everything he could get. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, it is that, so. And, you know, more of the same as we move on. So let's move on to track two, which is a song called Ender's Trois. That was track two, Ender's Toi, or Ender Toi, maybe. Or Ender Toi. Ender Toi, une de toi. Bunt, will you hit us with the meaning of it, please? <laughs> Why don't you hit us I'm with too the scared meaning? now. It's um, go to sleep in French, I believe. There you go, go to sleep. So we're back into sleeping, we're back into dream territory. Following that theme, yeah. You've got the line, go to sleep, you'll be fine, in there. Again, just reaffirming that thing we mentioned in the last song about him using sleep as an escape. It could be argued that this song is almost a lullaby to himself, something he's using to sing himself to sleep almost. You've got the, in the morning you'll find real life was such a grind and stuff like that. It's a way of him coping with the world he's in and talking himself again, talking himself to sleep. That seems really accurate looking at the the lyrics. You could probably turn that into a... A lullaby. A a lullaby, yeah, you really could. Just looking at it, it's sort of, it's quite um, simple, relatively sort of naive almost in a nice way. Uh, I like that actually. I might, yeah. I might take that. Yeah, so, take, use it. It does give you those that kind of out of body and out of mind feelings, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It feels like it's kind of extraterrestrial or something. Yeah, there's a lot of that on this album for yeah. me. I, I spend a lot of it w- way far outside my own head when I'm listening to this album. Yeah. I guess all psychedelia isn't about space, but this most certainly feels like it's about space. Yeah, possibly. Or like I said, they use a lot of visualizers yeah. live. I think yeah. it's about either out of body or altered yeah. perception. Sorry, that's how I mean space. So like going past the limits of your mind and then opening up into, I'm pointing up, so that's why I'm saying space, I guess. But Not spaces in astronauts, spaces in. Yeah. I think that's why I found it confusing the last song when you said the whole sound of it was a bit much for you. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it gives me relief in a weird way. Like because it's out of body and out of mind, I feel like it creates space in my head. Okay. Mm. 
it gives for me it's it's really calming yeah the music it overwhelms my senses so much you know like this is a tangent that i'm going to go off into you know hypnotist you know the idea of hypnotizing someone mm-hmm. there's something and it's arguable that it's bollocks but it's something called a snap induction and what that means is you'll see hypnotists where they'll go to shake your hand and then we'll force your palm towards your face and say look at that and then tell you to go sleep and some people it works on because what it does is it interrupts your brain over something that you would imagine is going to be a a transaction that you already know what's going to happen, i.e. a handshake. You know what to expect. When someone interrupts that, it overwhelms your conscious brain and taps into your subconscious. And so with music like this, that is quite overwhelming sonically and on the senses. It doesn't give you any space for your background noise of your brain to get involved. You don't have the mental capacity to focus on the music and your busy mind at the same time. Therefore, for me, it's quite meditative, this kind of music, because it occupies all of my conscious mind at once. Right. Amen, sister. My version of that is lots of noise, but in a quiet, not overloading fashion. Mm-hmm. So really sparse ambience would do the same to me. Not lots and lots of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not occupying all of my mind, occupying a part of my mind. Got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and almost like tuning into a frequency rather than tuning into all of the frequencies. That's the beautiful thing about music now and the ability to have such an extensive palette you can mm-hmm. paint the canvas as much as you want if you're into the abstract minimalist art of picasso or the chaotic van gogh paintings that are littered with a really complicated subject matter it's the same thing it's like it's all down to preference in what distracts and satisfies your personal kind of mental and artistic palette sure on a more menial note i was looking into what instrumentation was used on this a Hofner bass is used on a lot of the album, if not all of this album, in terms of the bass lines. There's a few things where it sounds like a Moog or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I heard this and I had to go and bloody do a bit of research and I'm going to buy myself one. Yeah. But like, even his dad was in kind of 60s, 70s, not psychedelic, but in bands that were channeling that sound. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if his dad was in any bands. I know yeah. he was an accountant and he was a musician. He called him a closet musician. Yeah. But I don't know if he was actually in He was in bands. covers bands. And really? You'd play like yeah, everything from the 60s, 70s. So. Right. It's interesting. I have a, a pull quote from an AMA that Kevin did on Reddit about his dad. Um, his dad actually told him not to pursue a career in music because he said that it will make music lose its magic. Kevin in that interview confessed that that wasn't the case with him. It just made him search for new ways to be wild and moved by music. Okay. Do you know what then, in that case, what this album has done for me, it has 100% more than any of the other six albums that we've done encouraged me to listen to other music. It has actually opened up my mind to I went and listened to the Todd Rundgren album that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that they mention uh, that album is a wizard a true star that was apparently a real big influence on the entirety of the album mm-hmm. I went and listened to some of the David Fridman stuff I went to and listened to I listened to MGMT last night I listened to the Flaming Lips last night because I actually wanted to explore more of this so I just don't want it to come across that I haven't enjoyed this process because it's, it's opened my ears a lot um, which is only a good thing isn't it yeah, man. Um, because this is Endor Toi, you want to talk a bit about Paris? Because we've got the ex-girlfriend of his, Melody Prochet. Melody Prochet, yeah. Who he met whilst he was in Paris. Okay. As soon as Inner Speaker was released, he immediately started writing this album. Yeah. And he did some of it in Perth, some of it in Paris, where he moved into a tiny little apartment. He met Melody there. And there is definitely a French, although very gentle, current running through this mm-hmm. um you've got obviously enders toi which is french the album cover itself was That's taken I mean. in the uh, jardin de luxembourg in Chardin paris du Le Chardin. Chardin de luxembourg. 
And obviously he had the girl that he met out there as well, who they both, they both broke up at, at just after the end of this album. It's and good they both did. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, she's actually still in the relationship. But yeah, no, that, that is an interesting thing about this. It's something that I didn't know until researching. No. And he did say about Paris as well, even though Perth is one of the most isolated cities, that comes up a lot as well, one of the mm -hmm. most isolated cities in, in the world. He said about how much more isolated that he felt when he was in Paris. I guess the language barrier and that sort of thing, which is to be expected, I guess. As for the song though, one of my favorite features of the entire album is drums. I'm so glad that I went and found some research on this and was sort of like validated in how much Kevin Parker loves the drums. I assume that was his first instrument. It was, yeah. It was. It was, yeah. yeah. There's a whole YouTube video about him picking out his favourite drum beats mm -hmm. over, over the course of history. And some of them might come up again later on in, in this podcast. But this one here, this is Portishead inspired here. Really? Which is nice, which is near, you know, near here, up the road from here. And it's the buzz roll stuff. It's like he's rolling around the kit quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really 60s anyway. That's very John Bonham. And he pulls out John Bonham in this. He, he pulls out Good Times, Bad Times, which is a fucking awesome Led Zeppelin song. But I hear other people other than John Bonham in him. I hear like Mitch Mitchell from like Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite feature the powerhouse that John Bonham goes for. Mm -hmm. But this song in particular is that drum roll feel particularly Porter said Mr. Ron's um, that song, which yeah, is yeah. such an incredible song. Amazing band. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to track three, which is a song called Apocalypse Dreams. That was track three, Apocalypse Dreams. Banger. One of my top 10 favorite songs of all time, I would say. It's a fucking masterpiece to me. What song. a shout. What it, a shout. It, is, it sounds incredible. It really does, actually. It, it goes so many places and I have so much to say on this one. For me, Carl, this is like the essence of Tame Impala. This, this for me is arguably one of those songs that can sum up the style and feel of the band. Couldn't agree more, definitely. It's all the psychedelia, because I, I do love psychedelia in general. But this just hits all the right beats at all the right times for me. In terms of lyrics, this music and this album was at a time when I felt like I wasn't moving forward quickly enough. I felt like the years were starting to mount up and I was getting older, but my life wasn't moving at the same pace. And I think this album, the reason I connect with it so much is because a lot of the lyric content feels to reflect that a lot. You've got the lines, do you really live without the fear that everything is changing and there's nothing I can do? My world's changing pages while I'm just sitting here. And that to me was so, that really struck me, especially wrapped in this production that I love. And then towards the end of the song, he's got those repetitive questions of, am I getting closer? Will I ever get there? Does it even matter? This existential crisis of whether it's all actually worth it anyway. And it just, it just really, really speaks to me, this song. There's a lot of facts about this song, isn't there, in terms of, well, loads of different stuff, but this is the first time that Parker co-written with another person in the band, yeah, right? Correct, yeah, yeah. So he, he wrote this one with Jay Watson? Yep. Keys player yeah, in the band. In the live band, yeah. yeah. This Jay Watson, he's part of this Perth scene that comes up quite a lot of all of these different musicians that basically alternate within a big cluster of bands, it seems. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't investigate them that much, there are a few worth going back to. If any of you fancy researching the sort of Perth scene yourselves, I'll pop them in the old, um, in the playlist anyway. But I love the names. You've got Mink Muscle Creek, you've got Space Lime Peacock, Rabbit Island, Melody's Echo Chamber, which was... Um, Kevin Parker's girlfriend at the time. 
pond canyons gum and then there was the dd drums as well that i believe was kevin's proto yep. band wasn't it some amazing bands like i mean australia as a place has this psychedelic scene coming from all corners of it it's putting out so much good music like all of the bands you just mentioned obviously tame impala king gizzard and the wizard lizard the psychedelic porn it's all of these insanely good you're gonna bands. mention our, our new fave that we were lucky enough to go and see live Year before last? Oh, of course, Ocean Alley as well, Ocean yeah. Alley. Which are a great band with a great first album. Are they all spread across Australia or is it, yeah, is, is it a Western Australian thing? No, you've got like Perth. A lot of those bands I've just mentioned are from Melbourne. Right, okay. So the other side. So yeah. I think just in general, you know, Australia is an amazing place for music in terms of they put on so many shows, traveling festivals. Yeah. It's really, it's just a, a fantastic place. And I love yeah. the music that comes out of that. I think this is the most overt pop sounding song on the record. It's the one that, well, it's the one that I get the most from because he also then talks about finding his love for pop during the creation yeah, of, of this album. Yeah. If you stripped away all the psychedelia, this could, a lot of the melodies are just pop songs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was struggling to hear that. But then the more I listened to this song, immediately I was like, hang on, there's Motown in this, like the drum pattern, that snare led drum pattern. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the Supremes. Got you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it is, isn't you know, it? You know, yeah. um, oh, well, why don't you baby? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. no, no, no. That's keep me song. hanging on keep, yeah. I just keep, yeah keep me hanging on or it's um the jacksons it's yeah. bounce 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 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's that and i was actually really grateful to hear that pop element come through because mm -hmm. i think i find it hard to hear the pop melodies even though they're in there but this one made it the most obvious he lists super tramp and michael jackson as some of his major influences okay. so that kind of does tie that in just following on from your drum point there yeah this is the first time in the album that he demonstrates his amazing use of halftime Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And I mean, this is such a tool of mm -hmm. his, isn't it? In any album I've listened to of Tame Impala, the use of halftime and how that opens up the entire spectrum. It makes all the hers just come flying off my body. Oh, like. I, I totally agree with yeah. you. He describes in some interviews about his music theory background, and he doesn't really have any apart from if a, a certain chord change or if a certain series of notes makes him feel a certain way, he'll try and find out why. Right. Major to minor and, and that kind of thing and, and, how, and why major sevens sound a certain way. And so, although he might not have the biggest music theory background, he has a good understanding of how to play your emotions with certain changes. Sure. And that happens throughout. And this song in particular has my favorite moment on the album and one of my favorite musical moments of all time. It's the point about halfway through the song where the entire song stops and then hits back in with the halftime explosion. And that does so many different things to me. The way I perceive it in my mind is almost like at that moment where it stops, it's like the entire world gets sucked back into a nucleus. And then just like the Big Bang fucking explodes and you start hurtling through space with it. I mean, I'm, I sound like I'm high as fuck, but I'm not. I've never listened to this song and not had that and never not been satisfied just as I was the first time listening to it. It's one of my favorite musical moments of all time. Yeah. But it's fucking cool. It thing. is really impressive. It's incredibly impressive. It goes right down to nothing yeah. and then back out to everything within... The click of a finger, really. Yeah, in, in literally one beat. And how it sounds like it's sucked in, that, that's what really does it for me. It feels like the whole world just vacuums up. But yeah, a, a beautiful song, one of my favorites of all time, like I said, and definitely my favorite on the album. Oh, your favorite too? Oh, 100%, man. Yeah, it just means so much. Um, let's move on to track four, which is a track called Mind Mischief.
That was track four, Mind Mischief. Analog Beauty. Analog Beauty. Got that kind of feeling from this one of, I can, I can picture him in the studio just laying down all these parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like we talked about last week with James Blake and we talked about Lindisfarne 2, where the acoustic guitar sounds so rough, but the rest of the production cradles that. It's like in this song where you've got, like you say, analog, it feels raw and like the drum sounds. I imagine the drum kit is in the room next to me rather than in my head. But amazing drum sound is so well played. Yeah, it's funny you say that though, because he does use stereo as another one of his tools. Everything's so wide and parts appear on your left ear or your right ear and, and it feels kind of in the front of your mind, at the back of your mind at times. But I do feel like he balances it really well. Like there was a couple of, I can't remember what album we were listening to. Maybe it was one, on one of the Prince tunes, mm-hmm. but I felt like I was going to fall over because of how panned, Oh, that was Manchester Orchestra. Manchester Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. How panned something was. But I feel his mixing, well, it probably wasn't his mixing in this sense, it could have been just amazing. It yeah. still feels balanced to me. It still feels That kind of ties right. into what Chris was saying about the kind of 60s influence, the Jimi Hendrix stuff. Like if you listen to... Crosstown Traffic, for instance, like oh, of course, yeah, yeah. literally is panning around your head and stuff like that. That's such so. a good reference for it, yeah. I even wrote here at about 3 minutes 30, I wrote down, take off your headphones and listen to the suite because I did that by accident. I was, I'd take my headphones off. I was just sat on my computer and this song was playing and you can feel the sweep even when you're away from the really? headphones. It's absolutely nuts. It's even more pronounced when you take your headphones off. Yeah, it can, it can move you. Distance. It can yeah. literally affect your inner ears to the point where it can give you almost vertigo like... There's a lot to do with phase and stuff like that, which we'll get to later on because there's a song that we can illustrate the point on really well. But yeah, over the mix towards the end of it, there's just Dave Fridman has just put like a whole sweeping phaser or flanger over the whole mix. It's so experimental and yeah. something that you would get a lot of in the 60s. And it happens live as well. Like the guy who's doing, who's doing the mix live is just messing with it. And it's just a whole journey every time. He even says, there's a quote saying, the flanger coming in is just as important as the overall feeling of the song as important as a new lead melody or any other instrument coming in. There you go, yeah. It's so, like using effects as an instrument and, and as an emotional tool, which is great. Well, maybe that is where the most prevalent 60s influence is, in that you were getting all this new technology at the time, and it's like, well, why aren't we sweeping all of the frequencies across the entire track? You know, why don't we do that? Yeah, you know? yeah he makes a point as a producer of not fitting within the box. He always describes that if someone came in and looked at his recording setup and looked at the things he was doing, they would wince in, in fear of how much he throws the book out to the door and just does it as he wants to do it. I read a Pitchfork review of the whole album and the last bit of the review, the journalist was talking about what he imagines when he's listening to it and he talks about walking down like Manhattan and looking up the skyscrapers or driving through a mountain pass and it's funny, it does give that feeling to me as well. For me, it's being in a completely foreign country and walking down somewhere for the first time and everything being very vivid and vibrant and brand new and brand new right for me this song was one of those things that when i was listening to it it was transporting me somewhere new again and i feel like when i listen to tame impala currents is the thing that i reference Mm -hmm. that's the kind of feeling it gives me you know that's what he says when he's talking about psychedelia that's really i'm really glad you said that because he says that psychedelia isn't about this instrument setup and this format or these scales and it's not really a genre, has nothing to do with guitars, has nothing to do with synths. Uh, it's a sensation. He said it's when you, when you transport people. And that's what he's doing in this song for you. He's transporting. When you feel like you're outside your own skin. And, and that's essentially what you've alluded to there. Yeah, so in, another, in another place or another dimension. Yeah. Cheers, Kev. It's good to address that because he's defending himself against so many different points at this juncture in his career. I feel like not a lot of people got what he was achieving mm-hmm. in it. He wasn't going for the 60s sound and those things. He was just going for the transportation element of it. Yeah. Taking yourself outside of your body, 
So it wasn't the fact that he had guitars and synths in a room and was screwing about with all of these different effects. It was bigger than that. Let's move on to track five, which is called Music to Walk Home By. But that's That was track five, Music to Walk Home By. That's just a really, really good pop song for me, that. That's where I yeah. get all the pop elements out of this album. Yeah, actually saying that now, maybe you're right there. He describes in some interviews, like we talked about the pop thing earlier, he describes that his music is essentially candy pop with a bunch of fucked up instruments around it. And I guess this song's a really good example of that because it's full of hooks, but it is still got all those psychedelic elements that... Yeah. I hear that, Take it away from I me. He's, it. he's chucking all the drums at it at some yeah. points, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is impressive. Like, I don't think you'll find a catchier verse melody anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the verses are, his vocal melodies are amazing. He's great at it, man. He's a pop songwriter by talent, and he wraps it up in this psychedelic instrumentation, which just makes it really satisfying off-the-wall music. It's funny as well, this song in particular gave me, like, a juxta thing in terms of how loose it feels. Everything's in its right place, but it does feel like, ooh. Like, yeah, spacey. I wonder if that's because of the way it sits in the album this comes through with more clarity for me. Yeah. Maybe it's just production off the back of where we've been, maybe. Possibly. That yeah. makes sense. There's a lot that I've learned from doing this podcast in general about the fact that music placement on an album, it was always something I acknowledged, but never when you're researching something and really digging into it, placement is so important for your perception of the song. Yeah, most definitely. Back to that psychedelic chat we had before though, in terms of where we're transported or the moment of transportation for me, I love when around the bridge area where everything starts ramping up in terms of its pitch, uh, yeah. the, the bass gets really high and it gets almost gets quieter and quieter and quieter and then does what we did before in the album where we brought everything in and then the big release again uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of the song. I found that was the, the transformative moment within this song. Combine that with a pop melody and a bunch of hooks and it makes for a really catchy song. List. You know, he said... Um, about people that listen to this album once. He said that he's not really interested in that person, actually. He says that he's more interested in the people that take time to listen to it over and over. 15 yeah. because, times like Ubunt. Yeah, well, basically, yeah. Because it's not as in, inviting in one listen, perhaps. He calls some of it difficult, you know. He says it, it's like almost like cracking a nut. You have to persevere with it yeah. to get past the difficult elements of it. I found it interesting that he said that he's not really interested in that person's opinion after one listen. He describes this album as the first time he's been able to make music for himself and in a way that he wants to just do it in a speaker he felt like he was making music for other people he felt like he was so desperate to do the right album that it hindered a couple of his creative choices and made it a little bit more easy to digest which that album is if you go back and listen to it a speaker it's a lot more well-rounded more catchy songs and this is a bit more experimental and i feel like this is a point where he's gained his own creative freedom and being able to do that and so i guess that ties into the fact that he acknowledges the fact it might be difficult to grasp fully but you do in the end now we'll move on to track six which like i said before he's being quite open on this album in certain places and i think this is this song is the point where it gets the most open so yeah let's move on this is track six why won't they talk to me I don't need them and they don't need 
that was track six. Why don't they talk to me? Feels more straight down the line to me, this tune. Yeah, it's consistent, isn't it? it yeah. Keeps, it keeps on a path. He describes this song as the emotional center of the album. Ah. And I think that makes sense. If you pull up the lyrics, it's really, really confessional and seems to be him at his most vulnerable. Sitting it right in the middle of the album is quite interesting to me as well. As the album starts off with a lot of references to sleep and escaping the way he feels and thinks in the middle of the album, becoming comfortable enough with where he's at to express some of that and then getting a bit more cagey and reflective towards the end mm-hmm. of the album. This serves as a nice little nucleus in the middle for me. There are some fun lyrics in there. I'd love to know how many songs have featured the words whoopsie daisy in them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Whoopsie daisy. That's yeah. A, that would be a, an interesting deep dive. I saw someone try and dig into the etymology of whoopsie daisy and got absolutely no worries. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It wasn't my question, but as I was reading in some comments somewhere about the song, there was people talking about like, I looked into the etymology of Whoopsie Daisy and basically came up with fuck all. <laughs> Dinner time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm hungry, Carl. Um, he describes how the first time he showed this song to the band, they were all quite surprised at how open he was being and they almost felt uncomfortable listening to it because it felt so from the heart which is definitely reflected through the lyrics. It's almost a desperation to be seen and to be heard. He's got the, why don't they talk to me that he repeats throughout the, throughout the chorus. And then he turns that desire into a, an almost disdain with the lines. One day I'll be a star and they'll be sorry. I think that's so powerful. I mean, obviously he proved them all. He proved that. Yeah. Then some, (laughs) and then some, yeah. But Carl, is this about him being on the road and the social elements of it and the parties and him is that right? Is yeah, it, I, it could be. I mean, it's open to perception. I think it reflects an overall wanting or longing to be able to fit into society, but an acknowledgement of how him and his personality and the way he is doesn't always find that easy. Acknowledgement mm. or acceptance? Both, I guess. But yeah, I love that line. One day I'll be a star and they'll be sorry. Same. I, it's really um, it's really quite bitey, isn't it? I like that he's being angrier there. Yeah. I might bring out the fact of the week, though. Oh yeah, this one. Here we go. Get your finger ready on that James Bond, mate. No, it's not related to this song as such, only in the fact that he's in a bad mood at that point in the song. Now, in this interview by a YouTube channel called Kids Interview Bands, which is adorable anyway, he's asked what his first song is that he wrote. So when he was 11, he wrote a song called Bad Mood. Really? And uh, it was about him being in a bad mood and telling people not to mess with him because he was in a bad way. Well, here he is. Here he is again. (laughs) Here he is doing it. Echoing through the time. Yeah. But I didn't get a James Bond uh, sound. I didn't earn that one. Sorry, mate. Okay, leave it. Leave it. I haven't haven't earned it. There you go. Yeah, you can have one of those. Yeah. Talking again about that line, one day I'll be a star and they'll be sorry. I've pulled a quote from an interview. He talks about the separation of his parents. They split up when he was young, I think when he was four. And he went to live with his mum and his brother, his older brother went to live with his dad. And his dad was like the musician in the family. And his mum, he eventually got a bit tired of her having ever-changing boyfriends and just not feeling settled. So he eventually went to live with his dad. But he says, at that time, when family life was in the shithouse, the reason why all I could think about was becoming a famous rock star is because I thought people would actually respect me and people would love me. So I just play guitar and write hundreds of songs. It came pouring out to me and I became transfixed on it. So I guess that kind of ties into the line. He's like, his way of escaping the fact that he can't fit into society so well. He's like, well, my only other option if my personality doesn't allow me to do that, is to become enviable to people so that they want to be around him more anyway. I feel like that's what he's trying to say, but... That's interesting. And you know that in that Rick Rubin podcast as well, there's a minute where 
Rick Rubin is talking about this album and Kevin says that he felt that after the first album, the reason he could be so indulgent with this one is that he had had confirmation and affirmation of the fact that his right, his way of writing and his tunes were connecting with people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that he's used that lyric yeah. in this album and this song because he was he had the the stardom and he had the success. He was definitely getting there at that point. Yeah, yeah like Inner Speaker was a big yeah one for them it seemed like it yeah yeah i mean that's why he was able to get all the things that he needed for this album by the sounds of it and get the freedom that he was granted and and the the budget for new instrumentation and leaning heavily into the synth side of stuff and and that sort of thing and not feeling like he has to write for other people anymore yeah that Mm -hmm. creative freedom we talked about yeah a really interesting writer man and i really do like this song i learned a lot more about it not that i've ever skipped a song on this album but i've never gotten really deep into this one in terms of what it means and what he might be trying to say but in researching it found out that it is actually quite an emotionally open and vulnerable song for him so i did like seeing that as far as the things that i took away from it it was it was all drums again here for me it's really really mm. amazing choices on the drums he tends to write drum parts really lyrically is how i hear it and mm. sometimes part of that lyric writing process is taking away stuff so there's there's some great parts where he takes away kick drums and, and stuff like that to to open up the song and then bring back with full force the, the whole drum kit so yeah 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 you know, I've already said how much I enjoy the drums and the drumming on this album, but um, I loved it, particularly in this song. Yeah, everything is accenting the music, whether that's instruments coming in and out, whether it's flanges and phases over the mixes with effects, or whether it's lyrical content. Let's move on to one of the singles from the album, which is a song called Feels Like We Only Go Backwards, track seven. A do this. Track seven feels like we only go backwards. Banger. Great song, isn't it? You've got that um, classic Pharrell Williams start there, haven't you? Bam, bam, oh, yeah, bam, yeah, yeah. bam. He talked about watching a documentary of Pharrell making Justified for Justin Timberlake, oh, yeah. actually. That's actually a really cool video, that. Yeah. I was hearing another psychedelic band called Mini Mansions. There's a song oh, yeah, called, yeah, yeah. called Vertigo. It's got Alex Turner on it as well, which is mad. But that was my reference point for that. It's an incredible song in its own right. That'll go in the playlist too, so... I'm going to drop this in because it's mentioned so much. So there's a lot of references to Kevin Parker's voice sounding a lot like John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He addresses it a little bit in an interview he did where he says that Tame Impala were playing a show with Sean Lennon's band and they decided it'd be fun for Sean Lennon to come out and sing backups for their song, Desire Be, Desire Go. He said it'd work because they have similar voices and Sean Lennon smiled at him and said, yeah, you sound like me dad. Oh, wow. So, you know, there you go. There you go. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of people saying that he sounds like John Lennon, but you can't get any better than that, can you? From- exactly, yeah, from, uh, from the family itself. Now, did you hear about the vocal on this and how it was recorded and the possible problem they avoided? No. Is this about him getting a jack lead through a piece of spaghetti and plugging Exactly, in? yeah. He made like okay. a, because he was recording a lot of these vocal takes on the move, be that on an aeroplane or in the back of a van. He had come up with this cable, basically just the jankiest thing to get his microphone straight into his laptop, recorded the take and submitted it to be mixed. And they were mixing the track and it sounded good. They're mixing in stereo and everything sounded fine. But then a common thing to do when you're mixing is to sum everything to mono. Things tend to jump out a lot more problems in the mix when it's in mono. When they flipped this song to mono, the vocal completely disappeared. 
what had happened was the vocal was out of phase. So it was putting complete stereo, but one side was out of phase. Now to get a little bit technical, the way it works with phase is that when you have a particular sound, a particular frequency, you have a sine wave. And if you have two signals playing exactly the same sound and exactly the same frequency, but one of them is out of phase, they will essentially cancel out because they will be the same frequency moving the speaker forward and the same one backwards, which means the speaker just won't move. And that's what they noticed with this is that in stereo, it's fine because they're separated into different ears. But as soon as it came together, it completely canceled out the vocal and they couldn't find it. And they almost submitted it to master and it was almost going to come out. But if anyone ever played it mono, the vocal would disappear and they didn't realize. Whoa, that's cool. If anyone wants to do experiments with phase cancellation, if you get your hi-fi speakers and point them directly at each other, playing the same song, and on the back of it, the two plugs that go into it, if you flip one set around, the speakers will completely go silent, or at least 90% go silent, because everything starts cancelling itself out. Are we a science podcast now? We are. We bloody are. Carl Lewis, science guy. Sorry, Bill Nye, move over. <laughs> move over, Rover. This was a popular song for them. Quite an interesting music video, actually. It's just a big visualizer. And it just, it's almost like it draws you in. You know, like when you, when you see those pictures of like a frog getting shown the, um, the spinning hypnotic thing. Yeah, you know, like yeah, when yeah. You the black and white spinning thing, what hypnotizes right, you. Right, right. Well, there's one where like, they put it in front of a frog and the frog's just staring at it forever. Like it just gets <laughs> lost in it. Good. And it's a bit like that when you watch the video, you're kind of staring there at the little YouTube screen just falling into it. Yeah. It's really cool. Chris, did you, when you were listening to the Rick Rubin podcast, yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to hit the same point here. But, you take it, take it. All right. So he, Rick Rubin's saying, is there any point that any other artist or any other song really influences you and you can see that when you've written or recorded your version of whatever. And he says, no, not really. You know, every song I write seems to be kind of my own. But then he kind of reflects on it and says, actually, there's a song called Walk in the Park by Beach House. And he said that he was listening to it that day that he wrote this song. And he likes to do this thing where he'll listen to the whole song. When the song's finished, he will imagine where it goes. So he takes that song and moves it from there creatively in his own way, in his own mind. Ah. And he said that he got back that night and wrote this. And he says, I shouldn't probably say this, but it's really fun in the podcast. He's like, fuck it. He goes, I'm pretty sure if you listen to it, it's the same tempo, same key, and maybe even some of the same chords as in the tune Walk in the Park by Beach House. There you go. Yeah. Inspiration. What an interesting way to write a song though. Cool practice. Like yeah. when it finishes, you just carry it on your head yeah. and see where it might go. Yeah. I do like this song though. I, I love the wooziness and haziness of this song. Yeah. I think it's titled the way that it sounds. There isn't any playing around with backwards and backmasking or anything like mm -hmm. that. It certainly does feel like that. Like, it does, yeah. Like, can you imagine if you're really drunk and you're falling over backwards? <laughs> you're just too drunk to really work out what's going on and how to write yourself. Yeah. And it's like that. What would be good as a music video idea for this is to have someone on a side profile shot starting to fall over backwards drunk but then they slow down and it takes them the entire song <laughs> yeah. to get to the floor yeah. if you could just I'll watch, watch that. that boy should we try yeah. it later yeah let's do it later yeah keep right. your eyes out people okay let's jump into the next song which is track eight and it's called keep on lying Track eight, Keep On Lying. Really interesting. That feels more like a departure from anything else on the album to me. Agreed, yeah. agreed, yeah. This almost feels like a midpoint to the album for me. Yeah. You know, Chris, you, you, I literally have that as my first line. Oh, do you? This should be the midpoint. 
High five. All right. I've, I said that this should be the midpoint of the album. There you go. I mean, not, again, not to take away from the running order of the, of the album anyway, but, you know, whether or not the middle has to be the true middle or, or what. But yeah, I've, I'm, oh, I'm glad you said that. Look at you two bonding. Should we go out? I think we should. <laughs> for me, I'm going to dive right in and talk about the most interesting thing for me about this song. And it's as close as I can get to a link to any of the other episodes that we've had, because okay. I've not found one in this The link one. is dying. The link Ooh. is dead. But this song does what the entire of the Snail Mail album does for me. Snail Mail is top and tailed by the same song. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a repetitious song. A snake eating its own tail. Yeah. This song does that. Yes, it does. Starts and ends with the same verse with a fade in and a fade out. Yep. And I guess the point of that is, is that he's avoiding having to tell the truth. What's, what's it he repeats? He he's, says, until I, I, I get to the end yeah, of this exactly. song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he never gets to the end of the song. Because exactly. it's seemingly. Endless. Infinite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You've got a fade in to the first verse and then it ends by repeating the first verse and fading out. It's like he's baiting the person by being like, I'll keep on lying to you until I get to the end of this song. Yeah. But he never gets to the end of the song. Such an interesting structure, isn't it? It flips everything on its head. The body of the song is the instrumental. Yeah. And it's it's really long. That instrumental break is is really long. Again, if you want to pin some imagery to it, for me, it's like someone's asking him for something and he's walking and he's continuously walking away from them. And and that's what that that sounds like. That's a really good way of imagining it. Yeah, it's right. It's, it's like that. he's just blatantly just walking through everything. People are like trying to stop him and he's just carrying <laughs> yeah. on. Just being like, oh, I'm going to be going forever. Yeah. It's either that or it's the theme tune to The Odd Couple. And this is what I got from Mike. I had to call Mike and ask him about it. Mike, my housemate. You know, them. And when I heard it live, it's so funny because that's immediately what it sounded like live. And I, I love it. We'll add that to the show notes. Yeah, so well, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's... you can do a super mix and splice them together. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So another thing that I noticed about this song, or something that I wanted to acknowledge in this song, because it's a, it's something that happens in a bunch of songs, and I only really acknowledged it again in this one. This story does include uh, Fred Durst, so uh, trigger warning for anyone listening. Whoa. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. So in the song, you've got the line to the end of this song. So he's talking about waiting until he gets to the end of that song. Now that to me, and it happens in, in other songs, is the musical version of a fourth wall break. And I'll coin, I'll coin that term now, a musical fourth wall break. You're having that. You think I'm that, having that. Nah, tell, me, tell me someone said that. That's before. been said before. Come Has on. it? Well, you must have been. Well, I'm going to obnoxious. I was going to get to it later on about breaking the fourth wall, but you carry on. Oh. <laughs> I've, I think I was anyway. I've, I've probably forgotten it now. Yeah. No, do you know what? I don't deserve it. No, go um, on. So the way I referenced it was that he talks about getting to the end of the song, which is acknowledging the fact that you're in a song. And that drags me back to earth. Like, you know, when you're in a dream and you realize that you're dreaming, you wake up immediately. Mm-hmm. It's like that for me. As soon as you realize I'm in a song, I'm taken away from the song and, and detached from it. And you've got like the Fred Durst reference, which was if I say fuck two more times, the 46 fucks and right. it's fucked up rhyme. Or like Eminem does it a couple of times, like in Just Lose It. He's like, I don't have any lines to go right here. So tell it to me, fellas. And I'm sure it happens in a lot cooler songs than those two, but that's it. And so it's an interesting tool that it really does take me out of the zone, but whether he's doing that for effect or not, or whether it just affects people in different ways. Do you enjoy that happening or not? Not really. Okay. It's like, I don't really like fourth wall breaks in anything but a comedy on TV. This isn't the same, but it kind of is in a weird way. One of the scariest things in the world is when you're playing a gig mm-hmm. and you're like halfway through it and it's going quite well. And then uh, your mind just goes somewhere and it literally could go anywhere. Like sometimes I'll find myself like, 
looking at someone in the crowd or something. And then I'm literally like, fuck. And it literally hits you and you're like, I'm playing an instrument on stage. I do that when I'm driving. Oh man, mm. it's terrifying. That actually is terrifying to me when that happens. Old Kev talks about that in that interview with a kid. He says that he can focus on like a fire exit sign at the back of the back of the venue and then he'll be like, oh shit, I've just been singing his song for a minute and I've not thought about si- even singing. Well, that playing. must be weird when words are coming out of your mouth mm. and you're thinking like that. Man, do you get that when you're driving? Because I really, really yeah, do. Yeah. Like I'll be driving and I'll be on a motorway and then I'll be like, have I been, fuck. And I like don't realize I've been driving for ages or like, especially if I'm on the phone. Like if I've got the phone Bluetooth in and I'm in deep in a conversation to Very someone. That's nice, nice Carl. It's Bluetoothed in. <laughs> Good save. If I'm driving and talking to someone and I could have had like an hour long conversation and an hour of the journey is therefore passed and I've taken a hundred turns and carried on. And I'm like, man, I don't fucking remember getting here. Mm-hmm. Bit of that. You may I, have been asleep as well. Could have <laughs> also been particularly asleep. Sh- if it's a real, you know, straight road. Yeah. Right away, you know? Yeah. Well, Elon Musk's going to fix all that for us. Right. He is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Get so, your Tesla beds ready. Tesla bed. A Tesla bed. What will that do? Well, you can sleep in your car, innit, eventually. Oh. Just put it on the motorway, get your head down. I thought you were talking yeah. about like a Tesla bed at home, and I was like, hmm, what would that do? <laughs> I don't know, probably <laughs> This is track nine, Elephant. Track nine, Elephant. You know, I forgot about that one. How? How? No, you didn't. Oh, oh for fuck's sake. Also. You, because elephants. Elephants never. Oh, forget, Charlie. God, I stepped right into that. <laughs> you, you didn't get Shit, it that at was, all. Oh, my word. Line and stinker. I'm not that stupid. He says. Or is he? <laughs> or is he? <laughs> <laughs> was that your uh, Roger? Mm, I, can't, I can't get that, that low. No, that was Sean, um, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. Blue's one about their best. Wow. Wow. It's hard to get down there, man. He's got a he's got a low voice. He does. Mm. Um go on then, tell me about this one then. Can I start, please? Tell us what you know, Charlie. It feels very this I've I've stepped into bad places saying this kind of stuff before. It feels very British to me. It feels Franz Ferdinandish, Kaiser Chiefs kind of Almost Muse, two thousand four, two thousand five. How you know dare what? you not mention Kasabian, Charlie? Kasabian, sorry. Kasabian. You know what? Right. This song was recorded in the same studio that Kasabian wrote all of their albums. Was it? No. I'm just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Kevin describes this song as being one of the oldest songs he's got. Mm-hmm. He just never got around to recording it properly. They used to play it in sound checks and stuff, and eventually thought, well, we might as well put it down. Turned out that was a really good idea because it became possibly their biggest song so far, I guess, or at least the one that gave them the most traction. Mm-hmm. He's asked in an interview, like a lot of people always have that one song that they end up having to play and talk about a lot. And they asked him if he got bored of it yet. And he says, I, I'm a bit tired of it, but Elephant essentially paid for half my house. So mm. did yeah. a write off this one. Yeah. You're right. I hope he gets the other half. Well, <laughs> now. That's a, a lot of rain in, doesn't it? Yeah. Has he got, what's he got the, has he got the half of a first floor and a second floor? Or has he, or has he got no roof? Or he's, got a, he's got a bungalow with potential. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. That, nice, nice. I see it as half a house just split and straight in half. That's yeah. the way I like to see with, it. With a tarpaulin over yeah. one yeah, side of, course, of it. Course. But he still uses the front door even though he can <laughs> yeah. just walk around it. Yeah. Well, he has to slip through that one half of the front door, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Yeah. He's bittersweet about this song from what I've read as well. He, Shout out Leanne Lahabas. Nice. Oh, there you go. There's a link. No, that's not enough. No, that's not, is it? He said it feels quite empty-headed and bluesy. Yeah, he's bittersweet about it. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, this for me. I understand it's a great song, but to me, this is the Seven Nation Army. Yeah. It's the song that propels the band and everyone knows by them, but it runs the danger of becoming a something that's played at every single party and played at every single cover band. Yeah. And just runs that runs that risk. Doesn't take away from the song because it is an amazing song, but as with any song that gets overplayed or overpopularized, it becomes a bit boring after a bit. I'm just not really a big fan of like the gallopy drum thing. I, I just don't like that. Yeah. Like, um, to me, it works. To me, it works because in the lyrics, you've got the, Betty feels like an elephant shaking his big gray trunk yeah, for the hell of it. I mean, and I, it feels like something stomping around in the song. I get like, it. But life. It's, it's a bit too like swaggery. I just, you know, yeah. it's. He's doing that on purpose. That's the subject of the song, isn't it? Like mm -hmm. he's addressing another person who is. Obnoxious. Who, obnoxious. Yeah. So I was actually toying with that anyway as a choice to put that on the album if i was in that situation for example and i'd write a song and i'm putting a song in there that represents a character that i'm not very fond of for example mm -hmm. and i have to adopt a style i don't know if i would follow through with that or not <laughs> yeah because he has to mean? technically embody the person yeah well no because he's talking about the music embodies the person and the lyric embodies his opinion of the yeah, person yeah yeah it has one of my favorite lyrics on the album this song it's the um he pulled the mirrors off his cadillac because he doesn't like it looking like he looks back. That's his favourite lyric in the song too. Is it? Mm -hmm. It's his favourite lyric in the album. In the album. Is it? Yeah. Oh, well, Kev, I agree with you, mate. Do you liken that to lyrics of any other song? In On this album? Uh, it's someone we spoke about last week, Don Henley. It's the, saw your dead head sticker on a Cadillac. Don't oh. look back. Don't you never look back. Oi. That song is about the loss of your youth. Uh, I guess this isn't really so much is it i don't yeah. know i don't know what's that character doing there where he pulls why has he done that it's all about this person and their inability to look bad in any situation it's like he's one of those people that never wants to look a certain way so he broke the mirrors off his cadillac so he never wants to so no he doesn't look like he's ever looking back like he's so confident of himself that he doesn't need to nice try getting try getting that cadillac in a tight space now though probably easier but you won't be able to see backwards well yeah <laughs> It's easy. The car would no, technically allowed, be narrower. You're not allowed to. Well, it would technically be very slightly easier. Just <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeeps. Um, obviously, the highlight for anyone listening is that they've obviously heard this song because the Wiggles did a cover of it. They did on um, national Fucking television. Blew my mind watching that man. I didn't know. Do you know what? It I'm went, not. Uh, I've not stopped hearing about the Wiggles. Is that recently? That video is recent, right? Yeah, Maybe it was, like, I don't it was know. about ten days ago. Yeah, and they've no just way. been. Yeah. Oh, we're on the pulse, man. Right. Oh, Kevin Parker had a kid a couple of days ago too. We're on the pulse. Shit. Yeah. Current affairs. Yeah. We are we are tapped into the, the zeitgeist, I think is what the, mm. they call it. I think that's what the kids call yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But no, I keep hearing about the Wiggles everywhere. Do you know anything about the Wiggles? Um, <laughs> they did a cover of Elephant by Tamer. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I think they're like a, a kid's... Um, Children's entertainers. Yeah. But on a continental scale. Global. The Wiggles, I've heard of the Wiggles before this. That's you? They must have. You're a big fan, aren't you, mate? Yeah, actually, yeah, I was in the Wiggles once, actually. Uh -huh. Only briefly. I was too we, wiggly for them. When you, <laughs> when you drink a lot, we, we start calling you the Wiggle. The Wiggle, yeah, 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 the human Wiggle. Um, did you see as well, the guy's got like an elephant's head on? Playing yeah. Bass. yeah. <laughs> it's so good, man. And in the middle, they go into like a fruit salad. It's breakdown. nice. It's, it's like if the Muppets did a cover of a song. Say, I was going to say the Muppets. It's yeah. Is that it's, a link? No. no. We're, Stop trying to make a link. I don't know. You've tried to make Lockie D happen. Hang and on. now you're trying to make links. Someone came back on and said Lockie D on our Instagram. So they said Lockie D as you called it. You're spreading it, man. Look. It's put it out there. There's enough it? buzzwords around without Lockie D flowing. Lockie D. How's Lockie D for everyone today? Uh we we're still, still locked down. Yeah, we're still locked down and there might be a 
potential end in sight. There's, things are moving forward. Let's leave it. There. Things are moving forward. Hashtag Lucky Day. Yeah. Now, this song was a single and was probably their biggest single to date, I guess. Don't quote me on that. But he says, I thought it was just a really cool single to start with because it's really instantly appealing. He says, other tame songs are growers. This one's not really a grower at all. Grower at all. It's kind of like, hey, like it's just right there and very immediate. So mm, it makes sense definitely. as a single choice. And you can understand why this would make them popular. And it, you have to, as a band like this, like we talked about it being something that you have to pick apart to eventually learn to love. It makes good business sense and good musical sense to have a gateway drug like Elephant on the, mm. that you can listen to and then be like, okay, I want to hear more like this. It's yeah. kind of your, yeah. your, uh, your gateway drug. For sure. Now from here, we move on to track 10, which is an interlude of sorts. It's a 57 second track and it's called She Just Won't Believe Me, which leads us then into the last two tracks on the album. So yeah, this is track 10, She Just Won't Believe Me. But she... That was track 10, She Just Won't Believe Me, a musical interlude, 57 seconds. That was a real wash of emotion over you though, isn't it? It's a, a realization point in the album or, or something. You yeah. Know, there's a, it's definitely a transcendental part, I think. Maybe It feels like it has upwards momentum to me. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I'm being propelled upwards when I listen to that one. Okay. Surprisingly few instruments considering how big it sounds. It feels like it's definitely gone from a full band and a full soundscape down to just him. It's almost like a one, although it's massive, it feels like a one-man performance that. That's a good chart. I feel like so many of the tracks on this album and in general, you picture a live band playing it. You picture the whole band playing it. And this one, I totally agree, sounds like it's just him. Yeah. I find it's quite an odd place for an interlude if there is such a thing as an odd place for an interlude. I don't know, actually. I think it preludes the next song, nothing that has happened so far. I think it opens into that song really well. Track 11, where we're going to go after this, is quite a high point on the album. Yeah. And I, I get the impression that that's held by maybe the band as well. I think they finish with that quite often, don't they? They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's almost like your... <laughs> he does openly discuss the fact that they don't play encores. But th that is almost like the encore moment of the album. They've gone sure, off. Sure, They've gone off and... Oh, that's a good way of I mean, looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you've got your, your two... Because it mean, could it could easily be the, the ending track of an album that... Yeah. Like kind of the way it... It fades out and comes back back down to earth a little bit. I'm glad it's not. I, I do like that. It's just a little breather before we go into to one of the higher points of the album for me. I'm a big fan of interludes. I do. Yeah. I think they serve as transitional pieces, but also just re-solidify the theme of the album if it feels like it's gone a bit far. No worries, lads. I'll just take my opinion. Shove <laughs> <laughs> up my ass. Now, whilst we're on this one, because it's a short song, therefore we'll have less to talk about. I wanted to bring up a completely unrelated story, but to do with Tame Impala, about their royalties. Did you hear about this? No. So he was doing an uh, AMA on Reddit. He's talking about money at some point a bit in terms of like being successful. And he talks about how up until this album or at the point of that interview, which was 2015, he hadn't received a single penny in royalties yet for any of his music. So he says... In want, 2015? By 2000, at 2015, yeah. So he says, you want to know a story? Up until recently, from all of Tame Impala's record sales outside of Australia, I had received zero dollars. Someone high up spent the money before it got to me. I may never get that money. But then, Blackberry and some tequila brand or something put my song in an advertisement 
Then I bought a house and set up a studio. Fucking hell. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, so this is in conversation to how he feels about people stealing his music and putting it up on illegal downloading websites. He used to release his music for free anyway. And he says music has a value in the content rather than the purchase. So he's like, if people find value in the music, that's where it becomes worth something. So he'd rather have the music in more ears than not. And in response to that, he says, you want to know a story about this? Which is inc- incredible to think. Yeah, wow. of course. So an elephant bought him his fir- first half and a bl- Blackberry bought him second. Blackberry bought him a second and then tequila bought him some furniture. That's mental though. Mental, yeah. It's one to chew on because it shows you how broken the industry can be sometimes for someone who's perceivably as big as Kevin Parker was at this point. Labels are very good at putting money into things and then recouping it back and spending a lot of it as well. So, of course. That's a mad story, brother. Yeah, I mean, it's been a recurring theme throughout the podcast of how much of a difficult time certain artists have with labels and their deals and stuff like that. It's a problem that does need fixing in the industry because now more than ever, and Kanye West's a big advocate of this, is like people are so overworked and underpaid in the industry as artists that it's almost like they're paid in fame and labels think that should be enough oh yeah and it's like yeah i get it that you've made me popular but if i'm not earning any money what's what's the point because i need to survive as well so it's like being a starved artist with a big name well in that case i mean that sounds like a good segue into the title of the next song nothing that has happened so far has been anything we could control alternative title nothing that has happened so far has made me any money there you go there you go (laughs) track 11 Track 11, nothing that has happened so far has been anything we can control. Carl, just tell me this. When you get up and play drums, is that the groove you play? For some reason, every, as soon as I heard that, I was like, this is what Carl plays when he, when he picks up some sticks. I don't know if I'm good enough to do this, but I do play something along the line. It's that classic, um, I forget what the group's called now, but it's like... That one. It's a little Tom Roll thing. Yeah. I swear that's your... I mean, that's, I, that's I, am, karaoke I mean, I am an drum. excellent drummer, especially when I'm drunk and I'm in a, um, taking the drumsticks off someone who's a lot better than me in an open mic night. And um, That was a fabulous night. Carl decided to get up on the drums. Uh, they were an amazing band. And it was Carl. like a blues band. We were in Australia. Okay. Hey, there we go. Relevant. And um, we Is went out. link? And there's not a link yet, Charlie. <laughs> and we went out to this bar and there was a blues band playing. And they were like, does anyone want to get up? And by the way, I'm sat around the table with some of the best musicians in the world. And... I just stuck my hand up straight away. Can't even fucking play drums. I was like, yeah, man, I'll come and do some drums. They were like, off you go. And the whole time I was like playing along. I didn't know the song they were playing. It was just a blues song. So it was just play until they look at you to stop. So I was like playing away and everyone kept looking at me. And I think they would be like, man, is this guy going to stay the same tempo for any of this? Are we, are we <laughs> it gonna was a keep beautiful moving? moment. I'm an experimentalist. Just exactly, let yeah. Let me be. Yeah, man. Let, let, me, let me do my thing. But I feel like you might have been channeling this song and then in your... Um... Possibly, man, you know. Or maybe Kevin Parker was in that bar in Australia. He saw me do my thing at the, from the back. I was like, right, well, I've been out for too long and this is, I'm socially exhausted. I'm going to go it. home and have that beat um, for dinner. But yeah, I like this song. I like the rhythmic quality of the of delivery of mm-hmm. the vocals. Mm-hmm. So he's got that, like when he says the nothing that has happened so far has been anything we can control. He does, he delivers it. Like the almost. staccato off, mm. offbeat almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it fits into the groove, yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. Did you... Listen to this loud and on headphones. Did you notice the little spoken word part in the middle? Yeah, yeah. It's probably worth actually doubling down on that anyway because it's not the first time that a found sounds or um, 
Kevin Parker uses a dictaphone is what I'm trying to say. He does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he captures his environment with a dictaphone. Cheers. Quite a lot. And it's in Mind Mischief, I think it is, mm-hmm. is where there's a lot of ambient noises where if you listen with headphones, it sounds like he's just recording like a busy tube station or something like that. Yeah. You can hear people going past and, and cars driving past. And in this one, you've got a recording of his spoken word piece, which was rehearsed by his girlfriend at the time, Melody, who, we, who we've already talked about. And the effect that he wanted to get from that was like, if you're in a gig or at a club and you go outside and he says like, in you know, like a coming of age film where, you, where someone will go outside and be looking up at the stars and the friend will come out and try and get them to come back in. It's that thing that's done. So as that spoken word thing happens, which would be his girlfriend coming out to try and ask him to come back in, the music goes like really quiet, like it's like you're outside it and that conversation happens and then they go back in and it gets louder. It's quite a interesting piece of cinematic imagery yeah, put into yeah. the song. That's another wall break almost. Almost, Isn't yeah. It, you know? For sure, yeah. It's done really well though. It's EQ'd perfectly for that. Yeah. Um, you know, you when you can just hear the bass creeping through, through the walls and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really clever. Yeah. It's a very cool, very cool song. So, yeah, that groove as well, man. Now you've brought it up. It's, it's echoing around my head. It is really good. Well, you wrote it, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did write it, actually. Yeah. You know how he um, actually records drums? He's, he, he's three, like a three mic, isn't Three it? mic setup. And I think SM57's on kick and snare. I 57 think. on kick. And everyone's trying to like convince him those are not the mics, right? Because he uses those live, I think. He, or yeah. he did. He makes the sound engineer use the mics that he, that he chooses, yeah. And he has like a, a vocal mic as an overhead and stuff like that. And he's he's you know, true to himself, unconventional mm. with his, with his practices. He must find it bewildering because he is self-proclaimed, self-taught, but he's now one of the most sought after producers in the world to yeah. get his sound. There's yeah. people who spend hours, masters of the art, trying to recreate his sounds when he's just sat in a bedroom somewhere fucking up with all kinds of synths and outboard gear. What's amazing on that though, is the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing, but he has consistency in sound. I don't know if you've done much with synthesizers or tried to, to make patches or sounds, you can get something that sounds great and it can take you an hour or two hours to get that sound. And in a second, you can lose it by just turning something the other way yeah, and yeah. The, the patch is gone. But his, he must have such a grasp on his sound because there is consistency. Yeah, he knows what he thinks sounds good. And I think when he lands on that, he uses it. But like synthesizers blow my mind in general anyway, just the infinite possibilities. Yeah. They are literally, I mean, Chris, me and Chris had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about he'd been looking into the Babel Dictionary which we won't get into in terms of its whole definition, but we'll, Hell no. but we'll link to it in the show notes. It's basically everything that could ever be said or has been said is written in this dictionary. Essentially, it's a, an online space. Yeah. yeah, a computer has generated every sequence of words that could ever be uttered mm. or has or have been. And it's a bit like that with synthesizers for mm-hmm. me. It's yeah, like there are so sure. many combinations that it's just insane. Last night I went down a bit of a synth rabbit hole just looking up the sequential circuits pro one which is the synth that he bought for this album alongside a juno as well but he seems particularly attached to this this pro one which is like a mono synth there's a fucking amazing video of a guy going through it sounds like the nicest guy knows his shit inside and out it's about a half an hour video and i sat there just transfixed just watching the way that this works and it's amazing when you hear him like knocking on the door of what was being done on this album and stuff. I mean, it's it's a video from last year, I, I believe, if I remember rightly. But it's man, it's just imagining locking yourself away and just having that at your disposal. It's anyway. some piece of kit, isn't it? It mm-hmm. makes some amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I will reference further back. We listened to Why Won't They Talk to Me, mm-hmm. and he released a music video for that last year. And it's him in a room, and there's like a hundred different Kevin Parkers. Some of them are playing drums, backing vocals. He's done that thing where you splice all the different yeah. takes together. 
But the first take is him just sat on the floor with the Pro One and he makes the kind of swelling, wobbly noise at the start of it. And you're looking at him with it and he's, you can see he's so confident on it mm-hmm. as well. For him to bring that piece of kit in and use it, you can see he's using it on a bunch of different songs. It's yeah. Cool. It blows my mind that they can actually recreate a lot of this anyway, um, a, away you, from the album. You better hope you press save. This is well, it. Yeah. This is my point, Bunt, yeah. coming back to it. It's like, how the fuck do you get back to some of these sounds? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you watch, you watch him work. There's obviously some videos of him in the studio and he, he is literally just, he's using his fucking feet sometimes. Yeah. To like... He's messing around with all kinds of stuff. And I guess, you know, there's people who are paid so much money. I remember doing this for a really high level covers band once that were out doing theater shows and they would pay keyboard and synth programmers to recreate the sounds from an album that they were doing. They would send them the patches. So there's people whose job it is to know so much about it that they can recreate certain sounds. So, you know, if someone like Kevin Parker is not someone who's writing notes down of how to get those exact sound, right. it's probably make, produce, record, master the album, then send the stems to someone who yeah, right. sends them a bunch of patch notes back. I had this conversation with you about Peter Gabriel at Real World today, about his keyboard. You have told I, me it, but you didn't mention it I, on the show. Have I, I told you this, Charlie? I don't know if you um, have. So at Real World Studios, where Leanne Havas recorded? Was yep. it, oui. was it oui. there we talked about it? Correct. Which is nearby here in Bath. Peter Gabriel's got his own studio away from the main studio i guess is what it is and in that studio he's got a keyboard hanging from the ceiling with light up keys with keys that like a player piano and when he presses play through whichever daw he's using it's all lined up with midi so the keys light up how he played it when he recorded it so that he can relearn it for his tours no fucking way i hope i didn't dream that because that's is like one of my favorite things that i've ever learned about anyone that is very very cool i'll take one as well do we have to do high fives after has james bond ever (laughs) 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 absolutely no no, he doesn't does he He goes around and he goes yeah 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 yeah. high high fives your neck (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there's that so that's probably the perfect segue, I reckon. Let, let, <laughs> let's ride that one out on let's James Let's go to a Bond. new mission, shall we? Let's move on to it. No, fucking hell. All right, this is uh, the track 12 and the last track on the album. This is called Sun's Coming Up. That was track 12 and the final track on the album, Sun's Coming Up. I like that a lot. I do. I, I think that is a really lovely way to finish the album, especially in the two parts that it finishes. And it changes exactly halfway through to the mm-hmm. very second. Is it, is it bang, bang, bang on? Bang on, yeah, yeah. Which is really cool because it is like two songs and it, it's got like a nice swing. It's in three fours. It's got mm-hmm. like that nice jazz swing vibe to it. It also feels quite Parisian in a way. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, he, yeah. T- and I, he I, talks I like. about one of the lyrics, he's like, 7 a.m. midnight in Dover, he says. Now, to get to Paris, you'd have to drive from Dover to Calais, and then you're just not far from Paris. Maybe like he's been in Paris, and he's back in England now, and he's, he's on his way to, to Paris again or something like that. It just feels connected to Paris, this one. And then as you get into the second half of the song, the most psychedelic part where it's just him and a guitar, there's a bunch of his dictaphone recordings again which is basically just a street by the sounds of it. Those sounds as well, those dictaphone sounds, the way they're manipulated in the song, they feel almost binaural, like they start yeah. moving behind your head. And it's really like 
overwhelming yeah. a little bit when you listen to it loud on headphones. It's really I, cool, man. I think this was actually him walking to the beach, funny enough. Is that right? This is, if you can hear the waves crashing in this tune at the war's end. Oh, okay, so I thought that was cars driving past. So it's him, it is, but I think it's him crossing the road over to the, the beach. Got you, And then you cool. can hear the waves in the so background. So this would be it. in Perth then? I believe so, yeah, because um, Paris isn't known for its beautiful coastline. No, I guess so. Do you know what you were saying about that time there? I, I read it as a time difference, actually. I read that as two different locations. So 7 a.m. At 7 a.m. it's midnight in Dover. And just while you were, you were probably gassing about something interesting, and I was just interested to see what was seven hours ahead of Dover. In of, terms of, of places. Of, yeah, in terms of Greenwich Mean Time. And it's, it, I was hoping, I, I knew it wasn't going to be because I guess they're about 12, aren't they? over on that side of the world. But it's Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, that sort of really? uh, Southeast Asia. Yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah. a lot of this was I, on the move. Yeah, so. I just didn't know. That's, that's how I saw it. But then again, though, that chorus is about his, his dad, isn't it? That's who they're referring to. He lost mm-hmm. his dad a few years ago, I think, yeah. to, to cancer. And that's who he's talking about in there. Maybe the timeframes line up there or something. Maybe there's some reference to that. Yeah, possibly. It feels like we're all circling the meaning of this quite quite closely because... It's almost like the song is him in a, in a different location, yeah. writing about his longing for the other parts of his life. Yeah. Be that Paris in the feel of it, be that the recordings of being near the beach, because he talks about how when he'd had enough of living with his mum because of the ever-changing boyfriends and just the inst- instability of the situation, he described how he wanted to go and live with his dad and just live the beach life. So maybe this is an amalgamation of all of the different things that he loves. Be Definitely that think it Paris is that. with his girlfriend, yeah. the beach with his dad. Yeah. Maybe this is a real self-reflective ending to the album. Well, it does feel sure. sobering, doesn't it? This part of the album. It does, yeah. And in a way that I think ties in to the beginning of the album, being referencing sleep a lot and things like that, and being out of your own head. And then this is like sun's coming up. It's like if you imagine the whole album go- takes place through the course of a nighttime. Yeah. Then this is the awake moment back in the real world. Let's get back to business. And you feel grounded by that. Like Chris just said, you feel more zeroed in at that point, but then it wouldn't be Tame Impala without going off it on a tangent exactly halfway through it. It, There must be something he's done on purpose to make it exactly halfway through or a change. Some kind of image he's trying to paint. If for me, it's him after probably a night of recording in the studio in Perth Mm. and probably getting towards the 7am vibes and he's still recording and he's like, Fuck. And you can imagine yeah, him yeah. sat there with his piano. Because he would sit up, wouldn't he, yeah. um, and record late in the night. I was going to wait until this song to talk about the Beatles because um, I thought what he's done there with his voice with that really close delay. When I was just going through the Beatles and trying to find which made the most sense. I mean, probably the album this most like is Revolver, but A Day in the Life, which mm-hmm. I know is one of your big ones, Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's right up there mm-hmm. for you, especially as someone who's, who's from Liverpool. That, for me, was the, the reference point. That all actually come together. That really spaced out. Slappy vocal. Real quick it. slappy vocal, yeah. He says about vocals that even though he's not aiming for that, he just likes the thin, silvery-sounding vocals. So he says, I love the way they affect your brain, the way they sort of deliver a pop hook more than the opposite end of the spectrum, like Tom Waits. Very true. Mm. Yeah. So true. And it does, doesn't it? It really cuts into you, almost takes the personality out of the voice and allows you to take in the voice yourself. Whereas if you were listening to... um. Whitney Houston, right? I'd find it hard for me to feel like I'm that person because I know that I cannot, I'm so far away from being able to sing. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, if you take out all of the defining characteristics almost, mm-hmm. it like hands it to you and says, here's, here's a voice that you can take. Yeah, 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 about, for sure. Um, for yourself. Yeah, it does feel like that. It feels like that across the album. He places his vocal in a slightly untraditional place that makes it a lot more anonymous. 
Yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I mean, I didn't want to jump in on this until the end because I've actually got a quote from Kevin Parker talking about this song and what it means essentially. And he says, um, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back about the final release of just becoming an absolute drifter, an absolute loner, I guess, because all this shit has happened. All these crazy tumbling synths and emotions have happened before. And this song is the end and is really sober. Um, oh, is that what said? Yeah. All the other songs were immensely layered. And this one is just really about a piano and a voice singing about how I can't be fucked anymore and how I'm going to detach myself completely. There you go. So in terms of the journey of the album, you've gone through a bunch of different places from feeling overwhelmed with situations, feeling detached and misunderstood with the world around him. And instead of coming away in a place where he's found that, he's acknowledged that he might never find that. And this Sally. is the, the musical accompaniment to that. I like that. Thank you for that. I really liked hearing that. Yeah, and too. I'm happy to, um, to leave that as a cap on the end of the album, to, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough full stop. Did you listen to this album through headphones mostly? Or? Yes, almost exclusively. Yeah, me too. I think it's best delivered that way or through a really good stereo speaker system. I listened to this, I've listened to it sober, I've listened to it drunk, I've listened to it, you know, with a bit of Mary Jane in me. And he talks about people listening to his music whilst stoned. And he says, you shouldn't make something that is only enjoyable when someone's high. Sure. So he references it like this. He says, for me, it's like doing high jump at the athletics carnival. If you can do it without drugs, that's good. If you can get higher with drugs, that's great. But if you need drugs to get to the bar in the first place, that's not right. It should be in you regardless. And if you can jump a 10 meter bar, then you're an Impala. Nice. Uh, go on then. Nice. Eh? And now we've come full circle. We have come full circle. So there you go. That was Lonerism by Tame Impala. A firm favorite for me an album that I will enjoy for the rest of my life. Great actually. choice, Carl. Do you know what? I'm really glad we did that. I've loved talking about it. You know, I don't want to walk away from this and feel like I didn't enjoy the process of this and I'm really digging into this. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. This has probably been my favorite album to talk about. Great. Uh, so far. Nice. There's, there's a lot in there, isn't there? And like, it's a whole new world. We've had a few of them as well of the virtuosos that we've brought in, people who do everything themselves. Yeah. From James Blake to Prince to to now Kevin Parker and... I think that it makes it really good to talk about because mm -hmm. you can unpick, you only have one person to emotionally unpick, but a lot of music yeah. to go through that goes with it. So it makes yeah. it a lot easier to talk about mm -hmm. sometimes rather than having to jump from person to person. Yeah, I never would have realized that this was his persona at this point. Mm. You know, I, I just wouldn't. I know Tame Impala, the big mega band. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so. is why I chose this album in particular. I would have brought in a speaker because that is amazing for me as well. But to hear him talk about how that wasn't him and his most creatively free, yeah. I thought this would be the best representation of who Kevin Parker wanted to be. Yeah. And you can go through and listen to the later albums to see who Kevin Parker became. So there you have it. Woo. If you've made it this far with, it, with us, everyone, thank you for keeping on and hope you enjoyed our breakdown of Lonerism by Tame Impala. Shall I get this beer? Get her out. Let's yeah, we've it. only got one today because uh, we were doing an early recording. I need glasses, boy. So. Oh, it's a nice beer. Nice. What is it called, Charlie, for the people? The beer is called Answer to the Cosmos. Answer to the Cosmos. There you go. Beautiful. And uh, I believe it's from our favorite local shop again. It is from Beercraft in Bath. Shout out as always. Thanks, yep. Diana, for all your help as uh, always. Absolutely. So while Chris pours those out, I'm going to be the Patreon plugger again. And just remind everyone that if you would like us to break down your favorite album on the podcast, Episode 10 is going to be a fan and listener submitted album. If you go to our Patreon and choose either the middle tier or the top tier and support the show, 
you get the option to submit your album to us. We'll pick one out of a bucket. It'll just be random. So everyone's got as much of a chance as each other and we'll bring it in and break it down. Mm-hmm. Possibly the thing I'm the most excited about. I can't wait to see yeah. what it's going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe we hit a milestone this week, didn't we? Yesterday specifically. Yesterday we did receive our very first legitimate, legitimate voicemail. Not from not friends, from fans. Friends winding us up. And it's a it's a winner. It is a winner. Should, Should we, we dial it in? Yeah. Here we go. Hello, how are you? It is oh hey, yo. There it is. That's it. Thank you so much for that one. If anyone want to hear it again? Yep. Just in case you missed any of it. Missed yep. a few points in there. Hello, how are you? It is oh hey, yo. Do you know what? Shouting out into the void, you know, for, for seven weeks now you know metaphorically it's nice to be asked how we are yeah you know it's all been worth it yeah so that voicemail was from tanaka Maguagua, and we'd like to thank him for reaching out thanks and just for reaching want, out want mate. you to know that we're all fine yeah, yeah we we're are all good yeah thanks yeah. for asking thanks for listening and uh yeah getting involved so there you go <laughs> like it yeah so now is the moment we move on once more <laughs> it's me it's chris's goat chris will choose the album for the next episode We've moved through a bunch of different things. Your choices so far have been Manchester Orchestra and then Leanne Le Havas. It has. It has. This is your third choice now. What have you got for us? All right. So I'm actually going to bring us bang up to date on this one. I've picked one from this year, this 2021 that we're in. Uh, I've been a bit cheeky again, and I'm doing what I did with Leanne Le Havas in bringing an album that I've not yet heard. But the reason I've not heard it is because I've been putting it off, ready to jump into it together with you. And it is Good Woman by The Staves. Oh, nice. Who I adore. Great band. They're incredible. Their album, If I Was, has been on a lot in our house. So I'm looking forward to What's the name of the album, sorry? It's called Good Woman. Good Woman. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. And um, yeah, I actually just bought tickets for them a couple of days ago as well, if that goes ahead. So to get stuck into an album that I can then take with me to see them live would be an incredible you can take like a usb stick around your neck with the episode on and throw it up onto stage when you're there i think you might have to do that you know shit i'm gonna have to do that good choice man looking forward to it me too beautiful well there you go bloody you're right so anyone who's listening if you want to be involved in the show go away and listen to good woman by the staves chew on it digest it if you have any comments that you want us to bring into the show voicemails and all of that stuff send them on in links are all on our website which is between the tracks podcast.com or patreon.com slash between the tracks or any of our socials at tracks.show. So there you go. God, you are good at that. That sounds like you're doing... Off, <laughs> off le- look off. Yeah. Rick Rubin, watch out. Yeah, Ricky. Ricky uh, Ricky R. Uh, Ricky Rubes. So what you call him? That's the Rubinator. When you're on the phone to him. Yeah, yeah. When, when he calls me, I'm like, oh, if it isn't the Rub- Rub- Rubinator, hoo-hoo, <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. goes, hoo-hoo. Oh, cool. And then we laugh for yeah. a little bit. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then we talk about beards and stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah, Talk about, um, yeah, I do samples for him. So I have a dictaphone oh, as well. Oh, cool. I record um, all different things, you know, wasps and stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening to the show. That has been this week's episode, which was Lonerism by Tame Impala. I've loved picking it apart with my favorite people in the world. Oh. If you want to join us back here next week, we'll be talking through Chris's choice, which is Good Woman by The Staves. My name is Carl Lewis. This is Chris Bund. And this is Charlie Fowler. Cheers and go. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club, but for music. Written, produced and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jatto. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. 
If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website.